0: Hey, can you uh, turn to someone and say, "God is good?" Okay. Yeah. say to someone else, "God loves you." All right. um, you know every every now and then here at, at harvest, you might hear uh, you might hear a baby crying or uh, you might see a, a mom stand up and and, and scurry out uh, I'm not sure if we have. Uh, any new mothers here? But if you do, um, we have a room uh, right outside here that's uh, set up with a with a feed in there for you to worship the Lord. Uh, not a socialization room, not a socializing room, not a uh, not a room for you to just do whatever you want to do and and, and and feel like you worship. But a room to worship where you are, uh, yeah, you can uh, worship freely with your baby if you need the feed or whatever it is um, that's available. So um, please. Know that that is there, and we'll be there continually um, for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if you know anyone know Ariana Grande. She's a singer. Anyone? Okay, a few of us do. First time I heard it, she, First time I heard about her um, was about six, seven years ago. Um, when I remember we were in the other building and. There was kind of this like hubbub about her amongst our youth students. And so some people were like, ah, Ariana Grande, blah, 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 blah. And I never heard of her names. I didn't know who she was. I couldn't Google her or anything like that. And then one of our high school students said, hey, DL, guess what? Um, Ariana Grande's following me on Instagram. I was like, oh, yeah, who's that? And he said, she's a singer. I was like, oh, cool, is she famous? She's like, like really, really famous. She go? I said, did she go to your school or something? And he said, no, 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 but like every week she randomly chooses like five people to follow or something like that, and she chose me to follow, and he was like so excited about that. And I was like, oh, you know, that's awesome, you know, uh, uh, it's really exciting, and, and, and for some people it was really exciting. So that was my first introduction to Ariana Grande. I heard about her again recently, maybe about a month ago. Because she came out with a new single called Seven Rings. Anyone hear of Seven Rings? Okay. <laughs> it's like all the people that I wouldn't expect. Right? <laughs> not the young people, not the, not the younger people, but still young people are raising their hands. It's awesome. Seven Rings is the name of her single that came out. And in order to commemorate that, she got a tattoo on her palm That said seven rings. Did you know that? It was in Japanese, right? She's not Japanese, but for whatever reason, she decided she wanted Japanese kanji lettering that said seven rings on her hand. And so she got this tattoo, but partway through getting the tattoo, it started hurting her, and she said, okay, that's enough, let's be done with it. And it looked kind of like what she thought it was gonna look like. And so she took a picture of her hand, put it up on social media, and said, seven rings, bam! Turns out that because of the characters that were missing, it didn't say seven rings, it said Japanese barbecue grill. (laughs) Seven rings, but really she was saying, hey, uh, I like Japanese barbecue grills. And the world learned a lesson that day. When you're making a decision that's going to leave a long-lasting impact, you got to be very careful about the decisions that you make. If you're gonna get a tattoo, (laughs) you gotta make sure that it says what you want it to say. Ariana Grande teaches us a very important lesson that even when it gets painful, we ought not settle for something other than what we wanted to have in the first place. I think when it comes to relationships, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about relationships, singleness and dating and marriage and sex and all of that good stuff that we think about that can often be so complicated Oftentimes in relationships, a lot of times we get into it and then we realize, holy cow, maybe I shouldn't be in this or maybe um, I settled for something other than, less than, less than the best for me, but because of the pain involved in stopping it or in keeping going in the way that we are, we ended up settling for something less than what we really wanted or than what we really needed. Today, I want to talk as we continue in this series about the kind of person that we ought to be looking for in a relationship. Maybe, maybe as you go through this time today, my hope is that if your heart is set on the wrong thing, you're not yet married yet. If your heart is set on the wrong thing, you're staying in it just because there's pain that keeps me from exiting or from, from me wanting to get and wanting to have the thing that I deserve, the thing that is best for me. And I, I hope that we would be jarred in our thinking to begin to think along the thoughts of Scripture. That doesn't mean if you're married, oh, you know what, this is causing me pain, I got to get out of it. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're married, that's where you ought to be. But if you're single and you're looking for someone, this is what I want to talk about today. What are the kind of, what's the kind of person that we ought to be looking for that's going to set us up for long-term success? Because the decision that you make, who you're going to marry, if God is calling you to get married, who you're going to marry is a lifelong decision. It's not a short-term deal. It's not a temporary tattoo that will come off in the event that you got it wrong. It's something that you're in for until death parts the two of you. And so, when we make a decision that's going to last a long time, we need to exercise a lot of wisdom in it. And so, I want to read to us uh, from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. We're going to start there, and then we're going to go to a couple passages in the Old Testament for our second thought here. I just want to give a couple thoughts here as it relates to who ought we be looking for in a future spouse if that's the direction that the Lord will have us go in the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Apostle Paul writing this again. Um, this is God's Word. He says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. So as we have been going through this series, we've seen two things uh, in the first week, that both marriage and singleness, wherever you find yourself right now, is a gift. Okay? so both marriage and singleness is a gift. Not one is be- one is not better than the other, but the gift that you now have in your hand. If you're married, then marriage is the best gift for you. If you're single, then singleness is the best gift for you. And we saw that the gift of singleness, okay, the purpose of singleness, that we live in undivided devotion to Christ, and unhindered, undistracted service to the Lord. And then last week, we talked about some of the things that we ought to be working on in order for us, as single people, to be the best single people to be used for the kingdom, and if one day God is calling us to be married, for the uh, to be the best single person ready to be in a, a marriage relationship. Today, I want to kind of flip it, not asking, am I the right one, but are they potentially the right one uh, for me to engage in a relationship? Two thoughts here. The first thing, very simple. Seek someone who not only publicly professes faith, but who privately, personally possesses faith. Let me say that again. Someone who not only publicly professes faith, but who personally possesses faith in Christ. Huge, right, huge. In other words, he's saying, and this is what you see in verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. Christian, he's saying, don't yoke your life together with an unbeliever. And then five times he says the same way. He says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Christ and Belial, believer with an unbeliever, temple of God and idols, for we are the temple of the living God. In other words, he's saying, if you're a Christian, you ought to marry... A Christian. Now, that's what he's saying. So if you're not yet married, okay, and you're in a relationship or you're seeking a relationship, here's the first rule very simple. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, he's saying you got to seek someone who's a follower of Christ also. Seek someone who's a believer. A lot of times when I um, have Uh, I'm asked to officiate a wedding, not a a lot of times, but every time I'm asked to officiate a wedding. Sometimes it'll be by a couple who's engaged or pre-engaged and they ask me to marry them. Sometimes it's a parent who's saying, can you marry my son or my daughter with somebody else? Uh, I'll meet with them and I'll say, "Before before I agree to it, I want to talk with them first. And so I talk with them, and we sit down, and we have this conversation, I say, hey, this is, as a, as a Christian minister, you're asking me to do this, it's gonna be a worship service, not just a wedding ceremony, okay? My authority comes from the state, but it first comes from Christ and the church, and so I'm gonna do a service that's gonna be honoring to the Lord God. And in order for that to happen, these are the two requirements based on 2 Corinthians 6.14. If you're both Christians, then I can marry you together. If you're both non-Christians, I can marry you together because in that service, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. But if one of you is a Christian and one of you is not, then I cannot marry the two of you together because it's clear that believers ought not be yoked together with unbelievers. There have been some people who have asked me and some people that I love dearly, hey, I'm dating this person and they're not a believer. Will you do my my wedding? I said, I can't do it if it remains that way. And so I'll say, hey, this is, what, this is what the Bible says it means to be a Christian. Not someone who goes to church, because you've heard this a lot. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than you sitting in a garage makes you a car. Okay, just because you come to church today doesn't mean you're a Christian. So here's how the Bible defines a Christian. It's someone who knows that they're a sinner, and their only hope is found in Jesus Christ. And they've put their trust in Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins. And they're saying, I want to walk under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what it means to be a, 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 a Christian according to the biblical definition, okay. Not just someone who says they're a believer, not someone who says they come to church, but someone who's living a life under the lordship of Jesus. When it says, yeah, they usually say, okay, um, we'll come back next week and then we'll tell you where we're at. And sometimes people come back and they'll say, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to go a different direction, that's okay. And then other times they'll say, hey, you know what, Um, my husband is not a believer right now, but he wants to know how he can become a child of God. And uh, on on several occasions, use premarital counseling as an opportunity to share the hope of Christ and the gospel, to bring people into a relationship with the Lord so that together they can uh, build their marriages on a foundation of Jesus Christ, on the gospel. What he's saying here is don't yoke your life together with an unbeliever if you're a believer in Jesus. What he's not saying is, hey, there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians. I'm not talking about that. A lot of people who, hey, I'm a Christian just so I can date you. Or I'm a Christian just so that your parents will accept me. Or yeah, I'll get baptized if that's what it takes for us to get married. That's not what he's saying. Someone who not only publicly professes Christ, but who personally possesses faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be looking for. Well, their status says they're a Christian. Or well, their religious affiliation says they go to a Presbyterian or a Baptist church. I'm not talking about that. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying someone who has faith in Jesus Christ and is living under the Lordship of Christ because everything changes when you do from when you don't. The, the imagery he used, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. We don't use that word yoke oftentimes. The two times we talk about it is like an egg yolk, which is a different kind of yoke. And when we talk about someone who's really big and muscular, we say they are yoked. That's not what he's talking about here. Well, what he's talking about here is to be yoked together is, an, is a farming term. Deuteronomy 22:10, it says, do not yoke together an ox with a donkey. What that means, a, a yoke was a big old piece of wood with two holes in it. Sometimes you see something like this when, um, at different tourist spots where um, it's, a, it's a photo opportunity where you got someone, you put your head in there and you put your arms in there and you pretend like you're a prisoner. That's kind of what a yoke is. But what a yoke is in farming terms, it's a big old block of wood with holes in it <coughs> so that two animals would put their heads in there. That yoke would then be attached in the back to a cart that these animals would pull together or a plow that would uh, be used and the animals would pull that plow so that they could plow the ground together. It's a farming analogy and he's saying in Deuteronomy 22.10, don't yoke two animals together. Why? Why? Why should you not yoke an ox and a donkey together? Because they're different sizes, because they're different strengths, because they go at different speeds. And if one is going at a different angle, a different speed, a different strength, then it's going to mess everything that comes behind it up. So borrowing that analogy, Paul says, hey, 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 if you want to get married, if you want to date somebody because the purpose of dating is marriage and you're a child of God, don't put your neck in a yoke that a non-Christian is putting their neck into because the direction that you're going is going to be completely different. Don't yoke your life with an unbeliever, even if they say they're a believer, It's not someone who professes faith, it's someone who possesses faith. Because when you put your neck into a yoke together with something, anything, whether it be an animal or another human being, the destination is different based on whether you're a Christian or not. You understand this, right? If you're a Christian, your eternity is heaven. If you're not a believer then your eternity is apart from God in eternal condemnation. He's saying don't yoke your life together with someone when you know you're going to spend eternity apart. But a lot of times we say, "Hey, you know what? But but I really love them and I want them to come to know Jesus." Therefore, I'm dating I, I'm just I, you say that we ought to be evangelistic, we ought to be missional. This is called missionary dating. That's what I'm doing. The heartbeat of God is for everyone to come to repentance, 1 Peter 2.9. God wants everyone to be saved, even your unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend or the person that you're crushing on who doesn't know Jesus. However, when it comes to putting your life together in a marriage relationship, every time... It's prescribed in the Bible. The Bible says, do not link your life together, if you're a Christian, with an unbeliever. As much as God desires for the unbeliever to be saved, he never tells us in Scripture that you ought to yoke your life together in a romantic relationship. He says the opposite, all throughout the Scriptures. Right? That's why he told the Israelites, do not marry outside of your race. It had nothing to do with racial marriage. It had everything to do with faith marriage. You marry within your faith because the blueprint of life is completely different if you follow Jesus and if you don't follow Jesus. And he says the same thing here. Your destination is different. Not only that, but the direction that you're heading in in life is different. When you as a follower of Jesus say the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, this is the direction you're going in. If you're yoked together with an unbeliever, the direction they're going is the opposite direction. If you go left, they've got to go left with you. If they go right, then you've got to go right with them because you cannot be yoked together and not end up going the way that they're going. It says the direction is different. Every decision that you make is different. Again, the blueprint upon which you build your life, I will build my life upon the whatever we sing, but we build our lives upon different blueprints If one of you is following Jesus and the other is not, think about it. You get married and you wake up on Sunday morning and your dude or your dudette wants to go to a football game or wants to do something else and you want to go to church, what do you do? When you have kids and you raise your kids, you want to raise them in in the church and they want to raise them not in church, what do you do? Because the blueprint of life is complete. You think differently about everything. You want to give your, some of your money. To, to, you want to tithe your money. You want to give to your missionary. You hear about a need. You want to give to it. And they're like, I just want to spend my money on, on my new Prada purse or on my you know, my new shoes or whatever it is. Well, how we spend money is different. How we spend time is different. What we think about sex is different. What we think about marriage is different. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're in it until death. But if you don't follow Christ, that's not always uh, the rubric and the understanding of what marriage ought to be. He says, don't yoke your life together with an unbeliever. Now, if you're married to an unbeliever right now, he doesn't say stop that relationship. In fact, he goes on and he says, by your winsomely living for Christ, you prayerfully pray that your unbelieving spouse would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Right? That's our hope and that's our mission and that's our purpose if you're a believer and you happen to marry an unbeliever, uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly, He's saying there's still hope, there's still redemption in that. Maybe you were two unbelievers and you got married and you became a believer. He says don't divorce them, right? You stay with them, but you win them to the Christ. Right? What he is saying is for those of us who are not yet married, Then yeah, there might be pain to wait for what God's best for you is, but don't settle for something less than what is God's best for you. Don 't settle for a Japanese barbecue grill when God wants to give you seven rings It's not just about i don't mean, I, I mean that in a the, in, in the very narrow sense, not that you have seven rings from your man or whatever it is. but it's important to understand there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians. I remember man this is I remember uh, speaking at a at a campus ministry one time out of state and uh, there's this guy who was talking to me and you know I had heard a little bit about him that he's kind of like a little bit slim shady um, kind of like a player player kind of guy and so I was talking with him and um, I don't know if he had like a a personality disorder I don't, at first glance I couldn't tell that he did but uh, if I could diagnose him I would say he was narcissistic he was selfish self-centered because The way that he evaluated himself and the way that other people talked about him were completely different. They said, man, this guy talks like he's all this, but man, there's just nothing about his life that follows Christ. And so here's this guy, and and I'm I'm talking to him, and he's like, you know what, uh, Pastor D.L., I really want to grow as a Christian, but it's so hard here. I was like, what makes it so hard? I mean, it it was a great Uh, church ministry environment that he was involved in so what what makes it so hard he said i'm just it's hard to grow when everyone else is so spiritually immature compared to me he's just straight faced like completely honest i was like what do you what do you mean by that he's like i've read the bible like four times through and and a lot of these guys don't know like the bible verses that i'm talking about and so i just can't have a conversation with them i was like yeah you know that's really hard Yeah, that's too bad Said, have you gotten into a have you gotten into a small group? And he's like, I tried a small group, but the things that they talk about are so like juvenile, so immature. Like I want to talk about you know X Y Z spiritual thing, and and they want to talk about A B C thing. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know. Um, and I, I just I started talking about some things, and I said, hey, maybe like the, the the biggest thing for you is maybe you don't need to learn more things. Maybe the call of God in your life is, hey, let's. Just systematically begin to apply these things into your life. And instead of you needing to receive from people, because it it sounds like you're very spiritually mature, instead of you trying to receive from people, why don't you go and and, and try and be a blessing to other people? He's like, I'll try that. But um, I don't know what happened after that. I just know that within maybe six to eight months later, um, I heard from people that he had gotten the person pregnant, was just, just having... He just wreaked havoc in that campus ministry, just playing all of these different girls who innocently, innocently put their trust in him because he said that he's a follower of Jesus and he's a praise leader and all of these things. Terrible, terrible stuff. There's a lot of people who publicly profess to follow Jesus. But there's got to be, Luke 3.8, there's got to be fruit in keeping with that repentance. If there's no fruit of a regenerated life, then don't settle for someone just because he or she says that they follow Jesus. W- when you put your neck in that yoke and you're walking in the same direction as somebody, you've got to make sure that they're willing to walk with you also. Not just someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian and that's it, I'm going to heaven and, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But if you want to serve God, if your vision is, man, I want to give my life away, I want to live f- wholeheartedly for Jesus. This is what a guy named Ben Stewart says. He says, uh, run with somebody who's going to make you run your best race. Like there's some, some, some athletic teams that are really good um, and they beat the good teams, but when they play against bad teams, they play really poorly. And we say about those teams, they play to their competition. When their competition is good, they play well. When their competition is bad, they play, they play poorly. Don't play down to your competition. If you want to run your best race for Jesus, then you got to run with somebody who's going to run with you, alongside of you. I know people that I, I went to, I, I grew up in church with and, and they had, even in my single life before I moved down here, man, there are people who, who had this vision for missions. They had a passion, a heartbeat for missions. I feel called to go to the mission field. I feel like God is, is sending me out to the nations. I want to I maximize my single year so I can really live my life for Christ. I can prepare myself. I want to learn different cultures so I can go in, in, into the mission field. And then some dude comes along and he doesn't have a heart, doesn't have a heartbeat for the Lord. He has a heart for the Lord, but not for missions. And she's running 25 miles an hour. He's running about 12 miles an hour. And we're like, dude, I don't know. I don't know if, if this is the right guy for you because he doesn't seem like he wants to, to, to be in the mission field. It's like, Yeah, you know what? Together the Lord will unite our sense of call and our sense of purpose. And now, uh, a couple decades later, I look at some of my friends who are so passionate about living for God. And they're just Sunday-only churchgoers now. And it, it, it breaks my heart, and sometimes I, I, I wonder if I, could, if I could just go back into time and, and just ask them, is it worth it? Is it worth it for you to squander those great dreams that you have of making your life count for eternity? Was it, was it worth it for you to, to give up what God's best was in order for you to have your Man, now, was it worth it? So I think a lot of times the temptation is to yoke our lives together with someone, and and yeah, maybe they follow Christ, maybe they profess Christ, but they're not running in the same speed as you are. At the end of it all, it's got to be worth it. It's got to be worth it. And if that may, for some people, I mean, I I think of people like... uh, John Stott, even C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was married, he was single and celibate until his late 50s, but he said, you know, many times I was in love, many times I wanted to marry this person, but I didn't feel like I could do the work of God effectively if I got married to that particular one. And so he waited, and he waited, and he waited until his mid to late 50s when he finally got married because he wanted to maximize his life for the glory of God. There's so many cautionary tales of people, friends that I know, people that I've encountered like that. But on the other side, I think there are other other stories too. I I, I remember a a couple they were dating, and they were not believers. Um, They weren't Christians when they were dating, and they dated for a long, long time. And at, at some point in their dating journey, the man became a believer. And he started following Jesus, and his life was just transformed. I mean, just evidence of of the grace of God, the transforming power of God in his life. And he wanted nothing more than for um, the girl that he was dating to come to know Jesus. And so at the same time, he's going through this spiritual transformation. She was going through this transformation as well. And so um, I think a couple months after uh, he gave his life to the Lord, she did as well. And they started yoking their lives and, and walking together in that same direction, living their lives for Christ. A uh, couple years later, they ended up getting engaged, but uh, during this time, the young, young man was continually seeking the Lord and growing and was developing. His heart was just expanding for the church and for the world and, and for everything that, that, that God was doing in his life. He was just so filled with thanksgiving. Um, but she, on the other hand, um, was kind of uh, wavering in her, in her love for the Lord. She still committed to the Lord, went to church every Sunday, but she wasn't running the kind of race that he was running. And even after he'd given her the rock, he was thinking about it, praying about it. I remember having uh, on, on, on several occasions conversations with him, and he's like, I'm not sure. I mean, I still, I, I, I love her so much, but I, I'm not sure if, if she can run with me. And so I remember um, at, a, at a certain point um, hearing the news that he had called off the wedding. It's because he said, I, I don't know if she's willing to, to live full out for Jesus the way that I am. And I remember, and they're, they're out of state also, but I remember hearing from um, that young man's roommate at the time, after they broke up and after the engagement was called off and stuff, um, somebody would, would, would tell me, his roommate would say, hey, you know what, um, these days he's just so in love with the Lord, he loves the word, he loves to, he just loves everything about God, that when he sleeps, instead of some of us sleep with a teddy bear, he sleeps with his Bible uh, on his chest at night, and he just holds on to it, and he clutches onto it. Some time later, he ended up meeting a girl at his church and, and it turns out to be a, a good friend of Olivia and they started dating and, and they got married and, and for the sake of the kingdom of God right now, they're doing some pretty awesome things at their church, investing in discipling people. And I think if you ask him, I don't think that even, even in the face of all of the pain of giving up a relationship that meant so much to him for all those years, to know that I didn't settle for that but I waited for God's best for me, and I'm living my life for the glory of God together. I don't think he has any regrets. I don't think he has any regrets. Young people, men and women of God, as you prayerfully consider, don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than what God's best for you is. There is a Mr. Right in the eyes of God that's far better than Mr. Right now, we've said before. Don't settle. Wait for God's best for you. Sometimes I think we stay in a relationship too long knowing that it's not God's best because we fear the pain that will happen if I were to give this up. But that you would trust God. Trust God who through his palms was tattooed for all of eternity with nails that went through to show that you can trust me because I love you and I'm wise and I'm good. It's the first thing. Seek someone who not only uh, publicly professes but personally uh, possesses faith in Christ. First thing. Second thing, seek someone who will age well with you, who will age well with you. If you don't go to church, okay, and you are trying to find someone to date, what are you looking for? I think if you... Uh, I, probably you know, what comes to mind is I would look at movies, I would look at The Bachelor, Bachelorette, I would look at the tabloids um, that talk about this marriage and that marriage. Um, that, that would be my source of inspiration and information to try and find a person. And it typically boils down to a couple things. One, chemistry. Do I have chemistry with that person? Like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. This person and I, we just, we just hit it off from the get-go. They make me laugh so much. My goodness, when I'm with them, I, I've never felt this way before in my life. Have you heard that before? Have you said that before? I've ne- no one has made me feel this way before. My head gets all itchy and tingly. My palms get sweaty. I don't know what to say. I fumble for words. It's, oh my gosh, it must be love. I don't know what this is. I think the challenge with chemistry is that you could find chemistry with a great number of people, especially if you get a little bit of alcohol in you and in them, oh my goodness! It's not hard to find chemistry—not in this world. Go to the right places; that's easy. When I think of chemistry, one of the one of the relationships I, I think about is a, a man named Hans and a woman named Anna. They were—I—I um, <laughs> I don't rem- recall the, the the whole story, but. They're having this great ball at Anna's crib, and, and, and she's talking to herself, and she says, maybe um, I'll actually meet someone. Maybe I'll meet the one. Was she the one who said that? Maybe that was Elsa who said that. But they're just two, two single and attractive ladies with a royal pipeline. But Hans comes, Hans of the Western Isles or whatever it is, he's a bad man. But they hit it off immediately and from the get-go. I think it was Was the first day that they met, they started singing this song, Love is an Opener. All of my life has been a series of doors in my face, but then you come through. Oh, my goodness, and everything is different. We are so compatible. There's so much chemistry. We finish each other's sandwiches. This mental synchronization must have but one explanation, that you and I were what? We're just meant to be. And you and I know how that ended up. He never really loved her. He just wanted her for the throne. Chemistry is overrated because a lot of times that's what we put our hope in. There's so much chemistry. And then the other thing that we often put our hope into or we look for in a person is uh, a list of characteristics. They got to be this tall. They got to have this kind of job. They got to make this much money. It's interesting because Um, Again, Ben Stewart talks about this in in his book and in the insert of your bullet or in in the announcements, there's some um, books and resources that you could look at because again, I can't say everything, can't cover everything in this one sermon. But Ben Stewart says, um, he kind of has this, I don't know if it's a critique of of dating these days, but he kind of talks about it. Um, I'm not a hater on online dating or apps or things like that. I know um, a good number of people have gotten married through uh, Coffee Meets Bagel or eHarmony or whatever it is. But... Here's the thing about eHarmony, about all these dating apps, which I think is a microcosm of dating in general today. What are the things that cause us us to decide if we want to show interest in them uh, or swipe whichever way that we want to do? What is it? It, 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 We don't see a biography of them. We look at a picture and then we look at a one-sentence description of them. And if they can be good with words or if they can Google a pithy quote or a funny quote or something charming that they could throw that on there and people look at that and say oh my gosh, this looks like someone worth pursuing. I will choose them or I will like them or I will heart them or whatever it is that these apps do. The problem with that though, the problem with that is that the beauty that you see in the picture is fleeting and the charm that you see in that quote is deceptive. In fact, we base oftentimes the desirability of a potential mate on the two things that Proverbs 31.30 says are the most unstable foundations upon which to build a relationship. Beauty and charm. We've got to be deeper than that. Because beauty and charm do not age very well. That's why the plastic surgery industry is in such great demand. What are the things that age well? It's things that people may not be able to see. Uh, In fact, I want to kind of point us to a couple places in the Old Testament. Um, Proverbs 31 Okay So if you're, a, if you're an unmarried man, okay, if you're an unmarried man, I want you to listen up. If you're a married man, I want you to listen up for the sake of your unmarried sons one day. Okay. Proverbs 31 is where we oftentimes get our description of a godly wife. Right? It says here in my Bible, "The wife of noble character." But did you know that Proverbs 39, I'm sorry, 31, was not written to a woman? to tell her, here's a checklist of things to do before you can become marriageable or dateable. It was written to a man. In fact, these are the words that a woman spoke to her son, saying, Son, this is the kind of woman that you need to be looking for to one day marry. Proverbs 31, I just want to bring out three things quickly, and then I want to give three thoughts to the women about the kind of man to look for. But what are the things that age well? Here, it, First thing that we see that we ought to be looking for if we're men looking for a woman is, one, she works. <laughs> she w- doesn't mean she has to work as a job, doesn't mean she can't be a homemaker, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude of a work ethic. Look at half of the verses from verses 10 through 31 talk about her work ethic. Look at what it says, verse uh, 13, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Um, she's uh, Verse 15, she gets up while it's still dark, provides food. Verse 16, uh, out of her earnings she plants a vineyard. Verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Verse 18, Caesar trading is profitable. Her lamp does not go out. Verse 19, she grasps the spindle. Verse 22, she makes coverings. Verse 24, she makes linen garments, supplies the merchants. Verse 27, she watches over there. All of these, they, they're talking about a woman who's not idle, who's not lazy, who's not just sitting there watching Netflix on TV, watching reruns of YouTube videos that she's seen and laughed over and over and over and over. She's not doing that. She's not eating the bread of idleness, but she's working hard because God uses hard workers. He doesn't use lazy people. Do you understand that? He doesn't use people who are lazy because lazy people are always expecting someone else to do it. She works hard instead of complaining about while she sits on her bed, getting her pedicure, saying, "Ah, I wish some guy would come and sweep me off my feet. She's out there working and being faithful to her present calling in order that in faithfulness to her present calling, she would live into the destiny that God has for her, because if you're faithful now, faithful with a little, He will entrust you with more. Is the woman that you're seeking, men of God, is she lazy? (laughs) If she is, then she better get to work if you want to stay with her, okay? She got to be willing to work hard. It's huge. It's important. Second thing that we see here, verse 26, she speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Second thing is, she's a woman of wisdom. Is the woman that you're seeking, the woman that you're dating, the woman that you're with, is she a woman of wisdom? The Bible talks about wisdom in a different category as knowledge and understanding. Knowledge you can accumulate through study. Understanding is understanding of people. Wisdom is bringing these two together and applying it into life. When you ask your woman for advice and counsel, does she give you wise wisdom? Or does she just say, Oprah told me that Oprah said this and that? Or this book that I read, or does she flow out of her mouth, flow wisdom that comes from God? Because when you have children, your wife will be depositing wisdom into the life of your kids. You want someone who's wise, but wisdom isn't just about what she knows. Wisdom is as wisdom does. Forrest Gump would be able to tell you that. Wisdom is not just what you know, it's how you live life. And so look at what it says in verse 23. Her husband is respected at the city gates where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. What does that mean? What does her husband have to do with her? It means she knows the kind of man that she needs to be with. And I remember hearing this lady, she was a, C, uh, she was a HR manager of a, of, a, of a huge company, highly successful. She said, when I interview job candidates, one of the first things we want to do is we want to talk to their spouse. Because when we get to know their spouse, the the spouse that they chose is one of the greatest ways that we can know whether or not they make wise decisions or not, based on the person that they marry. Wisdom, (laughs) it's not about what they say, wisdom is as wisdom does. It's the person that you're pursuing right now, is she a woman of wisdom? Not only in her words, but in her actions. And then the third thing, verse 30, she's a worshiper of God. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's the woman that you're seeking, worshiper of God. One of the first things that captured my heart about my wife, about Olivia, was that she was a worshiper of God in high times and in low times, with few people or with many people, by by herself or in the company of others. She wanted to worship God. It doesn't matter. Our wedding day, she said, I don't care what happens. I just want it to be a worship of God. We had people complain that our wedding was way long. How many songs do we sing at your wedding? We had three people give messages at our wedding. She said, I don't care. They say it's long. I just want them to remember that they worship God at our wedding day. The woman that you're seeking, a worshipper of the true and living God. For women, what kind of man ought we be looking? Not we, but ought y'all be looking for? Well, it tells us the things that are indispensable in Psalm chapter one. It talks about the truly blessed man. If you get your life with a blessed man, then you will be a blessed woman. Look at what it says in verse four. Whatever he does, okay, uh, yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, this is verse three, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. That means whatever the season, this man, his life is prospering and it doesn't wither. Verse six says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, don't you wanna marry a man Whatever he does is prospering, and that the Lord is watching over his way. That's the kind of woman. If I, if, if, I was a, if I was a woman, that's the kind of man I would want to link up with, someone who's, man, God is watching over his life. Whatever he does prospers. It's the hand of God on his life. Man, some of us are looking for dudes who drive fast cars, who've got a lot of money, who look like they could be on, a, on the cover of some GQ magazine. That stuff is going to fade, my friends. It's going to fade faster than that car can go off. Man, that you would, you would seek things that are deeper than that. What are those things? One thing we see here, th- again, three things. One, the fountain from which he drinks is the Word of God. <laughs> his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Yeah, does your man love the Word of God? I, at, at our Alpha service, we have a couple... Um, in their 60s, Nathan Mullins and his wife, Suji, and uh, I said, Suji, does your, does Nathan, is his fountain the Word of God? And she's like, amen, he loved the Word of God, he loved the Bible. She's like, praise God, right? She married well. The fountain that he drinks from is the Word of God. Is that, and and, and men of God, let this be our rubric. Are you drinking from the Word of God? Because this is how you're going to bring blessing into your family. Drink deeply from the well that is the fountain of God's Word. Second thing, he follows Christ, not the culture. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. Okay, wickedness, sinfulness, mocking. He doesn't walk in that kind of earthly counsel, but he follows Christ. When culture says, go this way, look this way, do these things, take this position. Christ says, go this way. Then a hundred times out of a hundred, he says, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. We may not be rich. We may not be famous in the eyes of the world, but we're going to follow Christ and whatever he does prospers and the Lord will watch over his way. That's, man, can I tell you out of a heart of love, that's what I want for you sisters. Not for someone who's going to make a lot of money and and have all these initials after his name, but somebody who's going to lead you in a way that your life and your home is going to be blessed, and that you would follow that. You follow that kind of a person. And then the last thing, they got godly friends. Uh, The friends in verse 1 are not godly friends, but they got godly friends because you hear this often. You and I will become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. If we're hanging out with sinners, mockers, uh, sinners, mockers, and the wicked, then it's not going to be long before we end up like them. I mean, yeah, there are aberrations to that, but by and large, that's the reality. Years down the line, you become like the people you hang out with. And this man has friends who will call him out when he's going astray. It's going to call him out when he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. When he's spending time late at night with that girl he shouldn't be spending time with, you got, you got to have friends like that who are going to call you out and say, I don't care if you don't include me in your wedding party. I'm trying to help your soul right now. People are willing to speak truth into your life and don't care about who you are, your position, your title, any of that stuff, how much money you have, how much that's, none of that stuff, but they're willing to speak into your life and say, yeah, you know what? I'd rather sacrifice this relationship so that you would do the thing that is right and I would do the thing that is right in this relationship. And there's um, a lot of time, I, and I know, man, I don't know anybody like that. I don't know any dudes like this. I don't know any girls like this. It's okay. We pray and we trust. Olive and I, we're praying for, our, our, for, for Manny's future husband right now. We're praying for Elijah's future wife, praying for Elisa's future, future husband and Lord, get them, get them right with you now. Help them not to make mistakes that are going to derail them. Help them to follow you. And maybe in this season of waiting, if you're not yet there, maybe it's because God's working either in you or He's working in the person that He's preparing for you. The question is, can we trust that His timing and His wisdom is faithful and that He will pull through to his promises, even if that means, even if that means you wait a lot longer than you thought, you are going to have to wait. I remember hearing from this couple, they're, they're married, and before they got married, um, the wife, basically the husband was saying, hey, let's get married. I want you to marry me. And, and she said, I, I don't think I can, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to, 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 to trust. I can't, I just can't do it. And he just went through this spiel, and at the end, he said, hey, listen, I know you can't trust me because there's a lot of untrustworthy things in me. But he said, I'm just asking that you trust Christ who lives in me, whom I follow. Can't trust me, trust the Christ in me. If you're going to say something like that, then you better be able to back that up because not everyone can say that. But if you can't trust any of the guys that you've met thus far, then that would be the hope and the encouragement. Hey, trust Christ. Trust Jesus. He is the ultimate person in Psalm 1. He's the truly blessed one. He delighted in the law of God. He had the friends that he needed. He rejected evil. He followed the ways of God above anyone else. And he did all of that for the glory of God and for his love for you and for me that it may not have looked like love at the time, but when the passage of time came, people realized that that signifies the greatest act of love, of goodness, of power, of wisdom, that the world could ever know. And sometimes where you're at right now doesn't seem like it's the most loving thing for God to be doing in your life. But can you trust the one who gave his son on the cross? Can you trust your life, your now, your your past, your future to him? Whatever that, that the future might hold, whether it be a marriage, whether it be in singleness, whether it be in, 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 in celibacy or whether it be in, in the fulfillment of whatever it is that you have your heart set on. That you'd be able to trust God that his way is best and that he knows what's good and right and that his timing is perfect for you. Let's pray together. Let's uh, take a moment to pray for those of us who are not yet married. Uh, let's pray. Lord, show me. Give me wisdom and understanding if this is the right person that I ought to be in relationship with. If you're in a relationship, if you're in a relationship now, and if you're not, Lord, help me to be the right person in order that I might see the right person when they come and not pass them by because I'm looking for something else. If you're married, let's pray for pray for your marriage. Pray for yourself. Lord, help me to be this kind of person that Proverbs 31, Psalm 1 talked about. Help me to be a value adder to my family, to my spouse. Help me to fight for your glory in me. Let's pray for that. Pray also for the, if you're married, pray for those who are not married in here. Lord, that you would create a culture within this place of love and of safety, of affection and of devotion commitment to you. Let's pray like that for a few moments. Now pray for us and then we'll close out our worship service with a song. heaven we thank you thank you so much for your love for us when we think about the life that we have we look back at the cross what Jesus has willingly endured for us arrest, betrayal Gethsemane whipping, injustice crucifixion think about what he endured for us We see the love of God fully displayed, and we see how good you are that you would do that in our place to your son for us. And we look at our lives, we think that we have the word of God, we have freedom to live for you. We have family, we have a house church, we have friends, we have a church that we can gather in, uh, gather with every week. We realize how much you love us. And yet it's in these two areas of life, oftentimes in our money and in our relationships, where it gets really hard for us to trust that you really are good. We pray that this morning you would remind us again of your infinite and unending goodness. That as we hear these words and as we sing this song, that we would never doubt, that we would not doubt, although we doubt that you would build our faith up again. That you'd help us to trust that you are indeed who you say you are that we are who you say we are, and that you love us so very much. So help us to live for you. Help us to live for you and give our hearts, our trust, our future, our love lives, everything that we are, in sweet surrender to you, thanking you, trusting you, loving you, because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.